Uh, do you guys remember this, this uh, TV show, um, Fear Factor? Um, it's not on anymore. Probably, they probably got sued, is my guess. But um, the whole idea of this, of this show, and I think it was MTV. I don't, I don't remember. Was that right, MTV? Um, and uh, they did just these ridiculous stunts. And, and everything, you know, it was all safe. You're going to jump out of a helicopter into a, onto a moving target in the ocean or, or whatever. And, you know, they find people who are afraid of heights or... Um, whatever, all these, these ridiculous things, and, and people compete, and I don't remember if, how you win. I guess you just have to be the last man or woman standing at the end. Um, but they did this one thing in particular that I remember that was just always um, funny, which that it, it sounds a little sadistic to me, but it, it, it always amused me when they did this thing where they would, they would put people in a room with some kind of animal, Right, but the room is pitch black, right, and they don't know what's in there, right, and and it's a bunny rabbit, right, but they don't know it's a bunny rabbit, right? They are convinced in their mind that the thing in the room with them is a lion or a snake or a scorpion, and so they they just touch the bunny rabbit and they scream, right, because they don't know what it is. And is that weird that I like that? I've seen people get scared, um, but but but. The whole idea, and what I'm kind of getting at, where we're going to be going at tonight, is this whole idea of truth. And what is truth? And in that scenario, right, they are convinced the truth is this thing is going to kill me, right? But it's not the truth. That's not the reality, right? And, and so everyone watching the show knows the truth of what that is, uh, but they don't. And it all comes down to their perception of that truth and their perceived truth of that thing. And... Um, it reminded me of a movie I've never seen, but you kind of see it when you just hear the title of it. Um, no, I forgot the name of it. Perspectives? What is it? No, um, Vantage Point. Vantage Point. All right? It's just, I, again, I've never seen it, but I get it, right? Everyone has different vantage points, and, and they see their truth, their, their eyewitness account, and then they're going to go to somebody else's eyewitness account. Yeah, that's the, that's the movie, okay? Um, and, but it's that same kind of thing, right? I'm telling, the, I'm telling my truth. I'm telling what I've seen here. And, and yet, is it actually the truth? Um, and so that's what we're going to be looking at specifically uh, tonight. So we've been uh, in this series. This is actually our, our fourth week. We have four more uh, weeks where we're going to be uh, looking at this in the, in the waters in which we swim, cultural dogmas and gospel responses. What is it that we are hearing that when we're swimming in this water of truth, the narrative in which our society is now telling us, um, what are we hearing? And when we're in that water of what they say is truth or perceived truth, or can there actually be truth? Can we actually know truth? Or there is no absolute truth, whatever. And we are in those waters, and we don't even realize we're in them. And so we want to look at those cultural dogmas and then look at a gospel response to what does the Bible have to say about truth. And so that's where we are going to be tonight. Um, I used this last week, I'm going to use it again here, based on the idea of truth. When we look at how should, by we here, how should Christians interact with culture? How should believers interact with the world? And Jesus tells us, right, that we should be in the world, but not of the world. And there are, uh, unfortunately, cultures and movements and, and Christian circles that's, that they, 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 they focus too much on the of, right? Don't, don't be of the world. And so they remove themselves, right, completely. They, they are in isolation when it comes to this truth. 
uh, or when it comes to culture and society. We don't want to be in it. But when it comes to this, and it's particularly truth, right, they would say that, right, that the, the world, they don't have anything that they can add to what we already know in Scripture, right? Scripture tells me everything that I need to know. And they, they err um, the phrase, if you remember a long time ago, when we were going through the series on the Reformation and, and some uh, key things that came out of the Reformation, the solas, we went over these five solas. And, and one of them was sola scriptura, that we believe um, as Protestants that the Bible is our highest authority. But we would not say it's our only authority, right? That would be a foolish thing to say. But they would look at this and say, no, it's my only authority. And instead of saying sola scriptura, they say solo scriptura. That's it, right? I need to figure out how to fix my Jeep. I got to go to the Bible, right? And that sounds extreme, but it's kind of what it is, right? When it comes to science or things like that, like, nope, this is, this is where it is. Now, that's, that's one. The other uh, aspect then with some individuals and they look at truth, right? You don't have anything to offer, so we're just going to attack. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after you for not believing what I believe, and that, again, is not in the world. Um, that is just against the world. And then the last one here is that we are in the world. And so, therefore, the Bible, you know, it's got some good stories. Um, it can teach us some really good things and, and helpful ways to live. But, but, wow, to say this is absolute truth and to say that the only way to be, uh, you know, to go to heaven is, is found in this book, you know, that's not necessarily the case, right? And, and they just... They just say, hey, everything is, everything, we're, cool, we're cool with everything you guys do as long as you're cool with everything we do. And, and we would say that's not what the Bible teaches. And so we want to be careful there as well. And so we land um, where we believe Jesus teaches this of be in the world but not of, that we're going to be in, the, in this community. We're going to be in this society. One of the most beautiful passages is in Daniel where it says that um, I want you to go into this city and I want you to build houses I want you to get jobs, right? I want you to settle down, and I want you to, and this is the phrase, I want you to seek the welfare of the city. It's not I want you to re get re removed from it. No, I want you as a believer with what, what I'm saying as your God. This is truth, but I want you to take that truth, and I want you to, to share that and live it and actually benefit and be a good citizen of this society, right? So we can be in but not of, and then we get to take and we can learn from the world, and we filter. We filter that through, through Scripture. And so we can look at what the world says about truth, and we can take some things, yeah, that's really good, right? I'm not a, I'm not a philosopher, so I'm going to be teaching and reading some things that I've been reading and studying this week um, about truth. And I can learn that from outside sources, but I have to filter that through God's Word. And so that's what we're going to be um, doing tonight. So what is the narrative? And, and these, at least with, with the truth narrative, it's not as um, explicit. Like, I, there's, okay, for, for example, the narrative, like, what, what is truth? Um, it's so complicated to figure out, so just believe whatever you want and leave me alone. Nobody's ever said that to me before, right? Has anybody, has that ever been said to you? I probably, don't raise your hand, that'd be kind of weird. Oh, oh, yeah, okay, a couple. All right, so, all right, right? But, okay, but just, just believe what you want, believe me alone, is this idea of, um, there's no way we could possibly truly figure this out. So I'm going to do me, you do you, uh, and I'm just going to, and we'll leave it there, right? And, and this comes down to the idea of uh, tolerance, and, and we're actually going to spend a whole sermon looking at tolerance and intolerance, but uh, I have to, we have to touch on that tonight, because when it comes to truth, 
um, what I believe, and if somebody else disagrees with me, how, how does that work? One of us can be true. Can we both be true? Uh, be, can we both be true? Can we both be right in what we're saying? Another way to, to read this, right, would be this way. Solutions are based on science and logic and reason and data, but moral reality is defined by individuals, right? Defined by an individual. Uh, we might even say that it's defined by society, right? That these are, this is cultural, right? There's nothing wrong with this, and now that it is embraced by society and the culture, it's okay, right? But we, there's no moral reality that is true. We can't say that. Um, I do want to just briefly, I'm not even, I debated a lot this week of kind of which way I was going to take this sermon. And um, thankfully, uh, Pastor Steve of downtown chose the path I didn't choose, okay? So if you're interested in listening to that, what he does is he spends uh, really his sermon talking about what is postmodernism, what is modernism, what is post-truth, and this idea of living in post-modernity and, this, and what they're saying about truth and understanding the truth and absolute claims and these things. That's where he goes, and he spends the majority of his time on that, so if you're interested in that, just go online. It's probably on there tonight or tomorrow morning. Right, Brendan? Yeah. Um, yes. So just uh, if, you, if you're interested in that, okay, um, and, and he'll, that'll, be, that'll be on there. Now, but this is, this is I, I want to just sum it up with Frederick Nietzsche, Nietzsche uh, where he uh, says it this way. You have your way. I have my way. As for the right way, the correct way, and the only way, it does not exist, right? And that has been kind of the, the underflowing current of our culture for a very long time, that we can't know the absolute correct and only way, right? That, that doesn't exist. It can't exist, right? Because my way is different than your way, and the way I understand it and see it from my perspective is different, so therefore, it can't be that way. And that's where we've been. So, where are we going? Now, he is, in this phrase, talking about objective, absolute truth. All right? A, a statement that is based on an object. And so that's where I want to go tonight, is I want to look at the differences between objective truth and subjective truth. All right? And this may be like, yeah, we learned all this stuff in fourth grade. I don't know what fourth graders are learning about this kind of stuff. But... We've heard about these things, but I want to just make sure we're on the same page, and then I want to look at different kinds of truth, all right? I want to be able to look at an objective and subjective truth, and then can we do that, and can we apply that to spiritual things? Can we make moral claims objectively? Can we make uh, spiritual claims objectively? And I want to look at that tonight um, as, we, as we dig in here. So, objective truth. What is uh, objective truth? Good question. I can turn my page, I'll tell you. Um, Objective truth, the definition here is this. Um, Objective truth is rooted in the nature of the object under consideration and transcends the opinions of any subject considering this object. Okay? So objective truth, what it's doing is it's basing the truth claim in the object, right? That's why it's called objective truth, okay? So... A claim, an objective truth claim would be this building, this structure is a church, okay? That is an objective truth claim. It's true, 
right? This is a church. Not only is it, was it built originally as a church, but we are currently having church in here. Therefore, it is a church. That is an objective truth, right? Whether you think this building is a church or not doesn't matter, okay? It is. It's just what it is in its object, okay? Um, that's an objective truth, okay? A subjective truth is kind of the opposite, opposite there. It is rooted in the opinions and beliefs of the subject who hold uh, the, what? Who hold the and vary from person to person. Okay, hold the truth, hold truth, or hold the question, I think is what it's supposed to say there. And it varies from person to person. Okay, this would be like something like, um, this stained glass window is beautiful. All right, that is actually a subjective truth because beauty could be different for a lot of different people, right? They could look at that and say, well, uh, no, uh, it's not beautiful. I don't know, but maybe, okay? I don't like the, the color palette on there. I wish it was more reds instead of blues or, or whatever, right? It makes me sad when I look at it. I, I don't know, okay? I'm just making this up, right? But that is a subjective truth because it's based on my opinion, and my opinion on a subjective truth matters, Right? So therefore, I can make a claim, and it could be that could be true to me and not true to you, but an objective truth transcends our opinions. Okay? All right. So let's look at some examples. We just went through some, but uh, maybe a little test here. Okay? So even math, right, is that's an objective truth. One plus one equals two. That is an objective truth. The object there are the numbers and the math, and it all works out. Boom. All right? That's true. Your opinion on whether 1 plus 1 equals 2 doesn't matter. That's what it equals. Right? I think. Okay. All right. Another one. I drive a Jeep. That is an objective truth. Okay? That is the vehicle in which I drive most of the time when it starts. Right? I drive a Jeep. That, that doesn't matter your opinion on that. Now, if I say Jeep XJs are the greatest vehicle ever created by mankind, right? Now, that's a subjective truth. Right? Kind of. I mean, you know what I'm getting at, right? Because um, a vehicle could be anything. Right? That could be a, a, you know, a, a, a jet. Right? A, you know, a nice, cool F-22 raptor thing, right? And be like, well, yeah, I would probably take the raptor, sell it, and buy a fleet of XJs is what I would do, um, right? But that's objective, right? My wife would totally disagree with the statement that I made, right? <laughs> she, she was just saying last night, we were like, every, every day, there's always something going wrong with it, and she's like, hey, someday you want to sell it, and then you're like, no, I just love it, and that's just how it works, okay? Welcome, welcome to my life. Um, another example, LeBron James is the GOAT. Right, that is very subjective, okay? Because um, uh, you know, clearly it's Michael Jordan, but that's neither here nor there. But then if you say LeBron James is, some might say was, a basketball player, right? That is objective, right? LeBron James is the subject of that, and he is, that's it, literally what he does for a living, is plays basketball. Okay, I think we, we get it. Now, the question when it comes to objective truth and subjective truth is this. Can we make spiritual truth claims. Can we do that? Can we make objective spiritual truth claims? For example, God exists. Is that objective or is that subjective? And what I'm trying to point, what I'm going to, at least for the remainder of the time, is try to prove that that claim is an objective truth. Because what I believe and what you believe does, has no bearing on whether God exists or whether he doesn't exist, okay? 
So that claim is objective in the fact that it's the object is God and he exists. And whatever I think about it doesn't have any weight at all in whether God exists or not. Now, we could say that about anything that might or might not exist, right? Unicorns. Unicorns exist. If we, if we put that in there, we say unicorns exist. What I believe in my opinion on unicorns has no weight or bearing whatsoever on whether unicorns actually exist or not, right? Okay, we, I mean, am I making sense? Because <laughs> I am up here, but I'm, okay. All right, so if unicorns exist, if that's the claim I'm making, then there's nothing that I can say that would really matter. So what do we do? In a case like that, we look at the evidence, right? We look at what does science tell us, right? And looking at fossil records for a very long time, there has yet to be an actual unicorn that's ever been discovered, right? And nowhere are there any, you know, animal droppings that are rainbows, right? That just doesn't happen. And so we can observe that and we can see by the evidence that that truth claim isn't true, okay? All right. So then we do the same thing with, with God, right? We have to look at our, our, what is the object that we're looking at, and can we claim that God exists, and can we prove that he exists? That's a whole other conversation. But what we do is we can look at the evidence. And it doesn't just have to be Scripture. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we, we kind of do that whole thing, like, like Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so. And, and listen, culturally, that's a very circular reasoning for an argument, right? Um, God exists because he told me he exists in his Bible, right? That, that's very difficult. And so we have to kind of look outside of that and look, man, are there any other proofs that we have that I can put my faith in the fact that, man, God really did reveal himself in this word? And, and to me, I look at, I teach this every year in systematic theology to our interns, and it's one of the coolest things. Um, it, it comes down to how many ancient Greek and Hebrew manuscripts that we have. Okay, this is going to get really boring for a minute, but let me just nerd out for a little while here, okay? Ancient Greek and Hebrew manuscripts, we have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of, of manuscripts, whether they're complete manuscripts or fragments of manuscripts, and that when we compare them over all the centuries and all the, all the times we would line them up, they, they, they line up with a 99.9% accuracy, that there's just no mistakes, and especially no mistakes when it comes to doctrine. Right? Something might be misspelt, but it doesn't change the theology of what's being said there. Now, we take something like the Iliad, right? a, a, a really popular story written by Homer, and, and we look at that and we say, okay, the, the oldest manuscript that we have of Homer's Iliad is like 800 years removed from when he actually wrote it, and we only have seven copies of them. Right? But yet nobody claims, nobody examines Homer and says, well, this, he didn't actually write that. He didn't say that. When that thing happened, that didn't happen. And that happens all the time with Scripture. And yet they've got thousands upon thousands of incredibly, meticulously, accurately detailed, copied manuscripts from out human history. And uh, one of the coolest things that happened was in the 1940s. Um, in Qumran, there was a, a, a sheep herder, okay? And this is the Dead Sea Scrolls, the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls. This guy's out, kid, really. He's out um, walking his flock, and, and he gets bored, and he starts throwing some rocks into a cave that he sees. And as he throws some rocks, he hears something breaking. So he climbs up there, and he sees all these super old alabaster jars with all these super old scrolls, right? 
up until that point, the closest to the original writing date of an Old Testament manuscript was again a good 800 years off. This kid throws a rock, and all of a sudden now we're within 100 years of when the original would have been written. And they take that one that's 100 years removed, and they take the one that's 800 years removed, and they lay them over the top of each other, and they match perfectly, right? We wouldn't have a whole lot more, but the kid got cold and decided to light a fire to keep himself warm at night with the ancient manuscripts. Um, it's a true story. Uh, now, I can look at that evidence, and I can say, that's right, that's not just the Bible making a claim that it's true. And I can look at this, and I can say, there's just no way humanly possible that human beings for centuries could carry this on for this long. And to copy this over and over and over that meticulously, unless God's hand was somehow in this, unless people's lives were being changed and transformed by what was being written in them. And so I look at that truth, and I say, yes, then, then, then if that's true, if God orchestrated the, the preservation and the writing of his scriptures, then then I can look at the scriptures that we teach and we read, and I can say, this is true. This is how God has chosen to reveal himself to us here now in this generation. So then we can look then at the scriptures, and we can see Jesus in praying to his Father, say, sanctify them, those who believe in me, sanctify them in the truth. And then he says this, your word is truth. So if I believe God exists, and I believe that's an objective claim, that he does exist, that I can look at his word, and his word is true, and I can uphold that as my highest standard of authority. Um, another thing I want to look at when it comes to these spiritual truth claims, as we see that God exists, at least that he is true and he speaks truth in his scripture, I want to look at what did Jesus say about truth? And again, we did this a while back, right, of, of the whole idea of Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. And there's people from, from society that would say, yeah, Jesus was a good man. He taught some really good things, but he also claimed to be God. And so therefore, there are three options to be, to, when we view Jesus. He has to be a liar, he has to be a lunatic, or he has to be Lord. And so we look at the, some of the claims he made if he is God, and if he actually said these things, then I can't just say, well, that's your truth and this is my truth. I can't do that anymore. What did he say? Well, Jesus loves those who believe in the truth. This is John chapter 17, verses six through eight. It says this, Jesus says this, I have manifested your name. He's again praying to the Father. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. All right, so God, you have elected people to give to me that I will, they will be mine and they will be yours. He says, yours they were and you gave them to me and I have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you for I have given them the words that you gave me, right? These words of truth. And they have received them and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me the truth, that he is who he claimed to be, the truth that he is the Messiah, that he is God incarnate, God with them. That is the truth that he's saying these people believe. Jesus also loves the truth, but he rejects people who don't believe the truth. This um, is kind of a, it's kind of a humorous story. It, it, 
again, maybe it's just a nerdy Bible thing, but Jesus, he says some funny things sometimes, okay? And this is kind of one of them, all right? And he has this way of, of speaking with people that when, when people question him or do something, and he, if he ever starts the conversation with a question, you're in trouble, okay? That's, like, that's usually what happens, and that's what happens here in this passage. This is Matthew 21. It says this, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching... The chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? All right, these miracles and teaching these things, they asked. Who gave you this authority? Okay, what they're asking him is, how are you able to do these things? Are you able just to do them of your own, or did God send you? Okay, they're, they're, they're asking him, are you the Messiah? And I want you to point blank tell me, right? I want a sign and I want to see that you actually are who you claim to be. All right, they're trying to pin him into a corner here. Because if Jesus at that moment says, yeah, I'm God, right, he's going to be killed. And his ministry is not over here yet. So this is what he says. Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. And if you answer me, all right, that's all he's at. Just answer me. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from human origin? All right, so he turns another question back on them. And he talks about John's baptism. This is John the Baptist. And as he went into the wilderness speaking the truth and preaching the truth of one who was going to follow him that was going to be greater than him, one of whom he would not be worthy of, of tying his shoelaces, that was what John said about Jesus. He says, where did he get that message? Why did he start baptizing people out in the wilderness? Did it come from heaven? Or was it of human origin? So he turns the question right back on them. And they discussed it among themselves. Or you can just see them like huddling, trying to figure out how should we answer this question. And if we say, well, from heaven, he will ask, well, then why don't you believe him? Okay? All right, so they've got, he's got me there. Okay, if, if this, this thing that's happening in the wilderness, John's preaching in the wilderness, and thousands of people are going out there to listen to him teach, about who Jesus is. If that message is actually from heaven, well, then he's going to say, well, then what's taking you so long? Follow along, right? Why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they all, all hold that John was a prophet. All right. In other words, these religious leaders were afraid of what other people were going to think of them so they didn't answer truthfully because they don't believe it's from heaven. They believe that John the Baptist is just a guy, that he's not a prophet. They believe it's, it's heresy in their minds. That's what they believe, but they're afraid to stand up for what they believed because of what other people might think. Man, we do, we not, we do that all the time. You know, like the Harvard studies? I mean, it's not Harvard. I've made that up, but I've read about it before, right? Where, where people will go into a room, and it's like, you know, raise your hand if something, and, and everybody raises their hand, but it's clear, like, blatantly that thing didn't just happen, right? Raise your hand if you just saw a giant gorilla run through the church, and everybody knows beforehand they're all supposed to raise their hand, right? And the, and the one guy sitting there knows there was not a gorilla that just ran through the room, but he still raises his hand. He's afraid of looking like an idiot in front of all these other people, right? And we do that all the time instead of standing up for what we believe. That's a side note. 
All right, so they answered Jesus, we don't know, all right? So we're gonna, we're gonna skirt our way around this question and we're not gonna give you an answer. We don't know. So then Jesus said, well, then neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things, all right? That was brilliant, right? <laughs> I'm gonna live to see another day for a few more weeks at least. All right, and the final thing um, with this aspect of truth is Jesus is truth. John chapter 14, verse six says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way. This should sound a lot like Friedrich Nietzsche's quote at the beginning. We can't know. There can't be only one way. We can't be certain. Jesus, sent by God, the son of God, God himself in the flesh, said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That is a claim. That is a bold claim. And if he's not God, he is crazy. He's crazy. Because you can't make claims like that. You just got to believe in me you'll have eternal life. Yeah, if, if I made that claim, like tonight, about me, you'd all walk out, right? You should. You should walk out if I make that claim. Because I'm not God. I can't make claims like that. And so if that's our authority, if that's what we're saying, then we have to compare that to what other people say. Now I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Okay. Last week I said this. I didn't say this. I read this. The question of identity is not who I am, but whose I am. All right, and, I, and I've changed that, though, in truth, right? Because the question of truth is not what is truth, but who is truth. And we can take everything that Jesus teaches about who he is and what he's done for us and our sin, and we can take it to the bank because it's true, and those claims are true. And we can stake our lives on that truth. I love when he's interacting with Pilate I mean, I don't, it's a sad part of the story. It's not what I meant. John 18, though, this interaction is amazing to me. Pilate enters his headquarters again. Okay, Pilate is interviewing Jesus. He's trying to get to the bottom of why in the world are the Jews asking me to murder this man? Why are they asking me to crucify him? Capital punishment, I'm, he's going to die. And yet, as he's interacting with him, he's like, I don't, I, I can't, you haven't done anything wrong here. And so he's just interviewing him, just asking him, right? Pilate enters his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? All right, he's asking a question here because that's what Jesus is saying in the sense of he is the king, he is the Messiah, he is the Lord of lords, he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's the statements that he's making. And so the, the, uh, the Jews then get him crucified because he's claiming to be a king. And he's not a king, at least not of this world. So he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, did you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? All right, did the Jews tell you to ask this question? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. Listen to his logic here. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. And if I really am a physical, earthly king of the Jews, 
Where's my army? Where are the people that are going to protect me? They would have not have let me be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Right? And you got to imagine, that sounds crazy. Right? Like, you're a king, but not a king of, like, this thing, king, world stuff. Okay. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king? I just love it. Like, how confusing would that be? So you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And those of us in this room who, who believe that truth, we listen to Jesus. And then Pilate says, what is truth? Which is the most ironic statement for a human being to say, especially when looking truth in the eyes. What is truth? <laughs> Pilate, you're, you're staring at it. God is truth. Jesus is truth. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. Okay. Last claim I kind of want to look at here. I only have three more slides. That's it, I promise. Moral truth claims. Can we, can we make moral truth claims? Okay, if, we, okay if, if you're on board with me, believe in Jesus, and you believe what God has said, and you believe his word is true, can we make moral truth claims? In other words, somebody is doing something wrong if they don't obey what the Bible says, okay? So for example, is this an objective moral truth? Idol worship is morally wrong. That's a bold statement in our culture. And I say that because of the word tolerance that we, that we use. We use it a lot. Man, we use that a lot in our culture right now. We're going to have to spend a whole sermon talking about it, but I want to say this. What, what we mean, what our culture means right now when we say tolerate each other, tolerate a different moral claim or somebody else's truth, is that when we say, when I say that, right, nope, idol worship is morally wrong, and there's somebody whose history and ancestry and everything is, is steeped in idol worship. And they say, well, I believe this, right? I, I believe that it's not wrong. I believe it's okay. Tolerance in our society right now says that your truth is equally valid with my truth, okay? That, that's true for you, and this is true for me. Historically, that's not what tolerance has meant. Tolerance has meant we can completely disagree with each other, but I can still respect you as a human being. <laughs> I can still love you and care for you and not just get out of here. I want nothing to do with you. That's not what we're called to do as Christians, Okay, and people with that view of tolerance, of equal truth claims, have a hard time accepting moral truth claims because that phrase, right, idol worship is morally wrong. Well, it might be morally wrong for you and in, in your religion, but it's not morally wrong for me. Now, so what do we have to do? If, what if we could prove that there are moral truth claims that are true? Okay, that, that, that they would, that everybody across culture, across time, across a people group actually believe. What if? Okay. We could make a phrase like this it is morally wrong to murder. 
But then we can step back. We say, well, what if, what if the guy that I murder is carrying a briefcase that contains the nuclear codes for a terrorist group? Okay, well, yeah, well, nah. then maybe, yeah, that's probably acceptable, okay? It's morally wrong to steal. Well, what if I need to steal that briefcase, okay? So we can, we can dance around. We'd say, well, that, yeah, that's not, a, that's not an objective moral truth claim. That's a subjective one. It depends on the situation, and, and my opinion matters highly in that situation. But one author did this, and I forget his name, so forgive me. He had like a, a lot of uh, initials, you know, like A.J. Walters or something like that. And by a lot, I mean two. <laughs> um, he, he does this with that phrase where he, he said, all you need to do is add for the fun of it. And everybody will agree. In other words, it's okay to murder for the fun of it. Whoa, no, right? So the moral truth claim there is it's not okay to murder. It's never okay to murder. It's morally wrong to ever commit murder for the fun of it. I don't care what culture you're from. Even if the culture says this is acceptable, people all around and from all generations and time and time zones have looked at that time zones. You know what I mean? <laughs> East Coast, West Coast. <laughs> Everybody has said, no, it's not ever okay to commit murder for the fun of it. That is never okay. And if we can make claims like that, it's never okay to lie for the fun of it. And if we can make moral truth claims, then we have to understand and think and, and, and at least entertain the idea that there must be a moral truth lawgiver. That there's a God out there somewhere who wrote those laws into place. It reminded me of this morning, I, it was funny, I, um, it reminded me of, of the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, when, when the queen is, is debating with Aslan the, the old laws, right? They call it the, the, the dark magic, right? It's written on the stone. The queen is kind of reminding Aslan of the law, like of the rules, right? And he's like, yeah, I wrote it, right? Like I was there. And it reminded me of that. And I read the story and then I came back to my notes and I was like, why was I looking at that? But now I just remembered why I was looking at that, right? If, if we can make these claims, that there is some kind of moral truth, then we can also make the claims that there is a moral truth giver and lawgiver. And if that's the case, then we, did we just start this all over again and we go back to the whole moral, or excuse me, the spiritual truth claim of God exists. And so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna start this whole thing. I'm just kidding. I'm not gonna do that. If it's true though, and I believe it is, and I hope you do too, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Sometimes that phrase can be really hard to hear. And this is a phrase that we use uh, at Hope a lot, and I want to make sure that, that this is true. I hope it's true of me, and maybe not. Sometimes I know it's not. That what we believe, we believe that the, the matter, the content of what we teach and what we believe in our Bible is really, really important. But we'd also say the manner in which we teach that and the manner in which we express that and tell that to other people is incredibly, incredibly important. That I can take a claim of I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I don't go around bashing everybody over the head who doesn't actually believe that the same way I do. 
right? That might be the matter, might be the content, but the manners, that's not how we've ever been taught to teach and to live. So, gospel application. What do I need to change in my view of what truth is? Because if we're looking at other things, and again, there's, there's truth that, that, that has nothing to do with the Bible, right? This building's a church. The Bible doesn't have a comment on that, right? There's, there's things in the world that are really good and really beneficial and truthful that we can take and we can learn from, but we filter that through Scripture. And if I've ever thought, man, Jesus is just a good guy, you know, he said some good things, do I believe that he is the truth, and the only way and that no one gets to the Father except through him. Do I need to change, what do I need to change in my view of what truth is? And am I willing to look like a fool to uphold that truth? Right, it's, it's easy in a room, it's church, right? Like you, you came here, you, you kind of knew what was gonna happen. We're gonna sing some songs, this dude that kind of looks like Jesus he's going to get up there and he's going to preach for a while. It's easy here. But am I willing to stand up for this stuff beyond these walls? Am I willing to be able to say, no, I I actually believe that murder is wrong in every situation. I actually believe these things. I believe adultery is wrong. And why? But then I also believe the hard things, like you must come to Jesus to be saved. That's really offensive to a lot of people, the majority of people in this world. So how are we conducting ourselves? But are we willing to look like fools to stand up and uphold the truth? This time we're gonna take communion. And again, the, the bread represents the broken body of Christ and the juice reprimands the, 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 reminds us of the blood that was shed for us. The Apostle Paul tells us, right, that every time, right, and Jesus teaches us as well, that every time we do this and take these elements, we do this in remembrance of who Jesus is. This is just the remembrance. There's nothing magical or extra spiritual about doing this. This is simply a time to reflect and remember. Remember what Christ did. And we take these elements, the bread and the juice, and we remember what Christ did for us, and we get to do that as a community. I I love this part about communion. You don't know this, but I sit in the back, and I just get to watch people take communion. It's just fun for me, because you're you're part of my community. You're part of the body of Christ. You're part of the bride, and I care for you. It's fun in a weird way. So we're going to do that. Um, Again, the... uh, um, gluten-free option is on this side. And, and, and don't forget the prayer team will be uh, up front as well. Will you uh, pray with me? Heavenly Father, again, I thank you that your word is truth. I thank you that we can uh, look at your Bible, look at your word that was penned by human hands, but that were led along by your spirit. We can take those claims, those really bold, strong truth claims that Jesus makes, and we can say, yes, I believe that. 
God, I thank you that you are a God of your word. God, I thank you for sending the way and the truth and the life. I thank you that he was willing to suffer and to die for our sins so that you could be both just and the justifier. That you can look at me as a son and not even see my sin because of what Christ has done. God, will we remember the weight of that truth tonight as we take these elements together. God, I pray you to be honored and glorified. It's in your son's most precious and truthful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.